Nobody's born incredible. People who do incredible things simply took the right steps. This is our journey. This is the hunt for incredible. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a great friend of mine, Jason Albers. Jason is the drummer of a band called Flatlane Cavalry that's absolutely blowing up right now. They have over 500 million streams across platforms, 2.6 million monthly listeners on Spotify alone, 660,000 followers across platforms, 34 sold out shows across the country. You get the idea. Now, he's the drummer of the band despite being born with only one finger on each hand, a rare condition known as monodactyly. In this episode, Jason shares the story of his childhood, how he turned his unique challenges into advantages, how he and other members started a successful band, and more. Now, this is only the first of two episodes where we talk about how he got to where he is. In the next episode, we talk about the philosophy and mental models of how to build teams, how to leverage your craft to make connections with people, creating steady growth for businesses in a changing industry, and much more. All right, without further ado, here's my great conversation with Jason Albers. All right, Jason, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Greetings, Mr. Gid. How you doing, my friend? Doing very well, man. I am so pumped about this episode. I've been so pumped about this episode for a long time. From the moment, so you and I had a phone call maybe, I don't know, it's been like nine months ago now where I was telling you about the show and you were like, dude, you have to do it. The name's catchy. You just got to go for it. And I was like, I need to go for it. You were on the top of my list, the short list of like epic conversations that I knew I had to prioritize. So our conversations are always so good. Your story's so good. Your mindset is so good. Um, and so I, I was super stoked when we actually got the ball rolling because we recorded some episodes and we took a, a pause for some curveballs in life. And then now we're kicking it off again. And I was like, dude, this is it. This is the moment to to get Jason on the show. And I'm I'm so pumped. I'm just so pumped. This is gonna be a really special episode for me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having thanks for having me on. Uh, like you were saying earlier, you had that con- we had that conversation. And I knew I knew not only you had to do it, but that you were gonna do it because you are that guy. Uh, but <laughs> any other person, uh, after your introduction, I'd probably be a, a a bit a bit intimidated or scared. But dude, it's it's us and it's I'm an open book, dude. So it is good to good to be talking with you. Heck yeah, same. All right. So to to kick things off, I'd love to to hear your background and your story. So from when you were younger, some of the challenges that you ran into growing up and then also how you overcame that challenge and then segueing into becoming a professional musician. Um, and now being part of a band that's Seems like you're you're strapped to a rocket ship, just ripping through space, going nowhere but up. Um, would you mind sharing your story? Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, I grew up in a small town in West Texas, Midland, Odessa, um, to a family of six. Uh, I was the youngest, so kind of was already getting all the attention <laughs> growing up. Um, and it, for some reason, I'm not exactly sure where the where the music bone hit me i think it was uh mostly just my older sisters blaring whatever pop music was on in the beginning of uh our days going to school you know so um i'd always be tapping on something uh just singing humming along it's kind of something i already do when i'm uh anxious in public i'll just start whistling or humming so (laughs) somewhere i don't know if as they say like behaviors are half genetic, half learned, half, you know, nurture nature. 
maybe some ancestor had, you know, a music bone that was passed down, but it's always been something that has, music has always been something that has done something for me, uh, element of uh, just enter entertaining me when I'm bored, like I said, just uh, any qualms if I'm anxious or upset, it's just kind of always been there. Uh, so it's it, it came through as a, a natural way. Uh, so I, although growing up in West Texas, small town, people went into the oil field, and no one really came. No, no one plays played music in my family for a living. I just never saw it truly as a uh, as as an option, really. Um, so you know, it was something something that I, I just always you know kind of lived with uh, alongside life. So I guess as I'm growing up, getting older, I uh, decided to uh, go to Texas Tech and. Uh, uh, be an occupational therapist. I, I was born with a hand condition, monodactyly, meaning one digit on each hand. Uh, and it was something that, uh, you know, gave me obstacles as a kid. And I knew that uh, seeing occupational therapists uh, as a kid, I knew I could be one growing up. And yeah, that's, you know, that's what I, that's what I thought, uh, I guess the the line was for me, what to do, where to go, um, how to make a difference in this world. Uh, so it still, it still is. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I'm a licensed occupational therapist, but also as you're saying, uh, along that road, the last 30 years, I found a way to play music for a living. Um, in a country band, Flatland Cavalry, Country Americana, I don't know, whatever genre is out there anymore. We're just kind of doing our thing. In other words, mom bought me a drum set when I was about 15 years old because she saw that I was, you know, tapping around just like the common narrative for every drummer, right? And she's like, one condition, hey, just don't play it while I'm home, please. <laughs> well, actually, dad said that. Mom mom loved it. Uh, <clears throat> so being the new kid uh, in, in this certain junior high, I met a friend, Cleto Cordero, who also got a guitar. I think his story, he happened to be uh, Catholic and for Lent, they gave up TV. So his parents got him a guitar and he just started, oh, wow. you know, chucking away at it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at school, you know, we'd be sitting on the sidelines in football talking, hey, you want to jam? And some somewhere in the universe, there is a, uh, a VHS of us playing Smells Like Team Spirit you know, in my, in my room, like a little camcorder set up, uh, playing some Nirvana or something. As, as we grew up and, you know, decided to go to the same college, uh, Cleto and I, uh, I guess I'm describing the formations of Flatland Calvary. Cleto and I uh, went up to Texas Tech and started playing small venues out there, uh, mostly covers. He'd be singing. I'd be, you know, help book some of the stuff. And then, uh, yeah, there's one place called the Blue Light Live out in Lubbock, Texas, that just took us in, nurtured us, gave us a shot, and yeah, from there it's just it's just grown, you know. Uh, so the musician life was something. I guess my main point, something that I never saw myself doing, but I fell into it, uh, and there was plenty of times where I was asking, okay, I know my purpose, I want to make a difference, but how am I going to do it? 
<clears throat> and, uh, you know, there are certain moments where, yeah, I, I, I chose to, you know, hit the road and, and be a traveling musician. And I'll, I'll do some bragging on you because I know you might not do the bragging on yourself. The rocket ship that you guys are on, you just finished a stadium tour with Luke Combs. You've traveled internationally. Dylan, who's your who, your band manager, who's also going to be on the podcast, um, I think I'm going to have him on next week, so I'm super stoked. Perfect. Is you have over half a billion streams collectively, 500 million streams collectively, 2.6 million monthly listeners on Spotify alone, 660,000 total followers across platforms, and 34 sold-out shows across the country just this year, and there are still more to come. Those stats are absolutely phenomenal and they're the numbers are only growing like this isn't this isn't the peak this is just the beginning of a of, of a massive incline and that's amazing a, a big question that i have for you and, and something that we've touched on a bit in the past is what did your first steps towards like being a musician publicly look like because there's always that genesis story right where you have to overcome discomfort in order to actually get that thing that you're looking for. And a lot of people, they don't take that step for discomfort because they don't want to look foolish in front of people or, you know, they're worried that they might embarrass themselves or whatever it looks like. What did your first steps towards actually being public with what you were doing look like? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, when I think about it uh, in the early days, I'll tell you the first show that, uh, that I ever played publicly was that it was with Cleto and uh, a guy named Alex Knoll, Jason, Alex, and Cleto. We called ourselves the Jack Trio. It was the high school – dude, it was the biggest show ever. It was the high school parade <laughs> for homecoming. <laughs> they had us on a tractor trailer. Um, <laughs> you know, we played covers. We were, we were essentially playing for our peers, right? Uh, and that was, uh, I guess, one of the first things. And it really is – being on stage in any capacity, uh, if you ask, I think anybody, it'll say that public speaking, public performance is probably their number one fears in that in front of like, you know, quicksand vipers and tarantulas even uh, because no one wants to be misunderstood, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess overcoming that um, within the first couple years of, any type of live public performance, it's truly understanding that, well, hey, I'm here and it's gonna happen. So be in the present, be in the right now. Um, and, the, and that is something that I would have to have, have learned over the course, even of a, a decade. It's something that I'm still learning today um, as new opportunities come. So when you ask, what is the obstacles for public, you know, uh, public performance or anything like that? I, I think it, it's relying, it's relying on what, you know, your practice, um, anything like that. Uh, but also trusting yourself and, and just knowing, just taking that deep breath, be it, be in the present because half the time you can think of, Oh no, I just, I just messed up. And this is part of life too, right? Oh, I just, in the past, I just messed up. Or, hey, I've got this part of the song that's really hard. Am I going to be able to, to do it? Or, you know, such as in life, hey, I've got this really hard 
whatever next week. Am I going to be able to do it? Just no. The the best moments happen right now. Mm. Um, and I guess that is that was one of the hardest obstacles in the beginning is just being here. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and not wanting to be misunderstood. Dude, I can resonate with that so much. I was actually going on a run this morning and it dawned on me, you plan multiple steps ahead, but when it comes to taking action, it's important to just focus on one step at a time. Oftentimes people, they see the giant mountain and they think, well, that's too big. I don't want to climb it. Or they look at an obstacle along the way and they think that's too big to overcome or it's too uncomfortable to overcome. Like cold showers. You and I are big fans of cold showers and breath work. Oftentimes people don't want to take cold showers because it's uncomfortable, but you don't need to focus on the cold shower. You just need to focus on turning the knob. Or if you want to go for a run because you know that it's good for you, but deep down you're like, I really am not in the mood. Don't focus on the run. Focus on putting your shoes on and walk out the door. Or posting content. I've been talking to a lot about people. I've been talking to a lot of people about posting content lately because they've been messaging me and like, hey, your content's cool. I've always wanted to post content. And like we were talking about five minutes before the call, I'm always pushing people to say, well, why don't you post? Just post. Like if that's something that you actually feel like would be valuable to do in your life, then don't worry about what other people think. And oftentimes they'll give me that feedback and say, ah, I just I don't want to look foolish or I don't want to be embarrassed. And I always tell them, don't think about what people are going to say or what they might think. Just focus on getting that post out. Like, don't think too many steps ahead. Just think about that moment. Or if you're on stage and you make a mistake or if you're in a game and you make a mistake, don't spiral and focus on that. Just focus what do you have to do next. Don't plan too far ahead. You've already done the planning. You already know what you need to do. Just focus on the actions that you need to take to get to the next level. Absolutely, man. Um, You know, you you mentioned uh, people, you know, people don't want to look foolish. And I've got a great story about me looking foolish, all to the point of it's a very funny story. So even (laughs) if you do look foolish, you're not going to look as dumb as me within this next story. Um, One time, (laughs) one time we're uh, in Lubbock still in school, but we had an opportunity to open up for a bigger name, you know, at the time. And we were playing in this bigger venue we'd never played in and there's going to be more people. And, oh, it's just, it was awesome. Or, you know, just the thought of it, like, Hey, all right, the cogs are moving in this, in this thing. We're get the hard work is paying off. Um, so either way, I'm so focused on playing such a great show. Um, I'm not living in the moment. May have, had a couple beers to calm the nerve, but more or less, I'm not living in the moment, right? So the guy, the DJ, he's like, all right, everyone, Flatland Cavalry, uh, you know, a couple hands clap. And I'm usually the first one on stage. Um, but for some odd reason, for me not just being present and aware of what's going on right now, I'm so nervous. I totally miss the stairs coming up on stage and I go, around in front of stage it's like a four foot stage and i literally crawl up there like a like a like a a baby a toddler would crawling up the stairs behind you and like i didn't even notice until we were done and everyone's just looking at me like jason what are you doing (laughs) like i looked like the biggest idiot right just like crawling up just so awkwardly 
and just like almost falling off and just like everyone else is just stares just hey hey dude you okay what's going on all all to the fact of living the moment and uh even if you do look foolish hey you can probably make a make a good story out of it and get someone to chuckle you know because let's not take life too seriously back to your first question (laughs) what was you know the things that kept you going uh at the very first publicly playing i didn't take it all too seriously Mm. um also knowing that hey i've got others i've got a family that loves me i've got all this stuff like let's just it was all fun in the beginning you know that's the real answer um just because it was fun you know there wasn't much on the line at the end of the day if it if it if it went bad probably just laugh it off you know you have such an excellent outlook on not taking yourself too seriously making sure that you have good perspective to say you know this isn't the end of the world it's not a big deal it's going to make a good story let's just laugh it off how much of your attitude of being able to laugh at yourself and being laid back and not taking things or yourself too seriously how much of that do you think is a product of growing up with monodactyly Oh, huge. It's, it plays a huge element. Um, man, there would be, I mean, I don't, I don't think that I was always the tallest kid, right? I'm, I'm pretty, pretty big dude. I'm almost six, five, two twenty, And I've just always been that large human from like first grade up. So like people really didn't mess with me that much. Um, but they, you know, they, they, they come on like a six-year-old would be asking me, some pretty like crazy questions of like, Hey, how do you, you know, making jokes? Like how, how do you do certain things? Uh, I don't know if this is a R they'd be asking me some R rated questions, right. <laughs> As like a six year old. Right. And then I just say, Oh, I get your mom to do it. Ha ha. You know, just like whatever. <laughs> and, and more, more or less it, people would ask, Hey, what's going on with your hands? What's, what's different. It would make my blood cold. Cause I wouldn't know what to say. It would like, it would give me that cold shock in my blood and like, it would embarrass me. And just like, I feel like when it happens enough, you just get tired of that, like embarrassment. And you're just like, all right, let's, let's not worry about the things that we cannot change. And I knew this was something that I cannot change. And now I look back, nor would I want to, because uh, it, it's, you know, forged me into who I am today. But when it comes to not taking life too seriously, I'm just like, man, I'm just a dude on a rock in the middle of this ever expanding universe, you know, that's just made a little bit differently. And like, it forces you to think, what are the things that really matter? Mm. Once again, the people you love being in the present, that's an undeniable truth. Um, You know, making sure that health is wealth, you're taking care of yourself and the people around you. Otherwise might as well have a good time. So uh, that's, that's essentially what I chuck it all up to. I, I can relate to those those forming experiences. I'm really quick to acknowledge when I'm wrong. I'm really open to feedback when I do make a mistake because in my mind, everybody makes mistakes. So I don't have to pretend like I don't make mistakes. And even Jack, when we first started dating, like we'd be in an argument going back and forth and then she'd make a comment and I'd immediately stop on a dime and say, oh, you're right. And at first she was taken aback like, oh, you're clearly just over the argument. And I'd be like, no, really. Like, I hadn't considered the point that you made, and now that you made it, I totally see where you're coming from. You're totally spot on. And 
I didn't realize until I got older that I attribute that to being the youngest of four. I was naturally always wrong. There was a 14-year difference between the first and the last. My my brother, who's the next oldest um, above, above me, is four years older than I am. So I was always naturally just the youngest kid with three other siblings constantly monitoring me and letting me know when I do something wrong. And so for me, I was totally comfortable with being called out when I did something wrong. And it never really dawned on me until I got older that it ended up forming me in a way that has turned out to be massively advantageous in life. Like even posting content or getting out there looking foolish, I really don't care if I look foolish because in my mind, everybody makes mistakes and does things that they're embarrassed about. And like, why does it matter if somebody sees my stuff? Like, I just, I, I feel like I carry myself in the world as if people are noticing me make mistakes anyway, and just being totally comfortable with it. And I think that is the beginning of wisdom is making mistakes. Not only that, but looking back, what was wrong, constructive criticism and anything. And that's, that's why I see you as a, as a, as a wise dude, strictly because man, constructive criticism, you take very well, you know, and it doesn't, you just brush it off. And I think that's one of your superpowers, man. So Kudos to you. And, and I, I identify the same way being the youngest. There's a 12-year gap between me and the oldest. And everyone's just like, Jason, don't eat that. You know, Jason, you know, <laughs> don't do this. Don't do that. Like, you know, don't put the fork in the in the electrical outlet. Like these things, it's just like, all right, cool. Hey, I appreciate you even telling me, you know, going out of your way, you know. And um, I, I think that that makes you personable. And uh, it's, it's definitely a... a a character trait that not many have. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. I do want to circle back around to your career and back to what the leap into committing to this professionally looked like. So you started off, you, you started playing shows, the band started growing, but you were going the occupational therapy route while you were also making music. And then you eventually reached a, a, a fork in the road where you realize, okay, this is a leap that I'm going to have to take into being a professional. How did you think about that leap? Was it difficult? And just what was your overall like mental model towards the decision that you made? In occupational therapy, it's a six-year program that I took at Texas Tech. I'll start by you know explaining exactly what occupational therapy is. Occupational therapy is a clinically trained health profession that focuses on the daily activities that we all have in life, rather that be from um, eating to tying your shoes uh, or operating a forklift, driving a car, all those things that we have are daily tasks. What OTs are trained to do is take those with injury differences, such as hand differences, and make sure that they're just able to thrive. They're able to do these daily activities. It's a purposeful and, and meaningful job um, that hits people right when they're vulnerable, like say strokes are a major one, heart attacks, um, traumatic injuries, such as car crashes or lightning strikes. Uh, it was an opportunity to be around uh, people uh, that have man, witnessed, witnessed some really hard things in life. And, uh, you know, I wanted to, uh, be able to communicate with them, those who have undergone that kind of trauma or just just a life moment, and say, "Hey, I'm I'm different too. Like, let me let me let me help you out. You know, let me, let me bring that human aspect 
Um, I found an overall, when I think about what I want to do when I leave this earth, um, what I want to do is, is put meaning into my relationships and bring purpose. And hopefully, you know, that stuff is contagious and Hey, maybe that's how we make a, this world a better place. You know, when I'm on my deathbed, uh, either way, uh, when you're asking about how did I choose to go from OT to musicianship, I kind of, I, I kind of had like a, a soft entrance into it. It was something in college that I didn't think I'd be, a, I didn't think in college when we started this, it would be right here where we're at right now. You just spewed out some stats. I didn't even know that I was like, Whoa, that is unreal. Just got, <laughs> just got done meeting Willie Nelson two days ago, playing some shows with him, and uh, you know, being in a stadium with Luke, Luke Combs, all this stuff. My point being is that I didn't know those opportunities would be like that. Um, so yes, I was apprehensive, all those things. And like I said, music had, had always done something for me, but the thought process that I was using uh, more so my anchor, what is, what is my purpose in this world? And until I found that I can have those same meaningful human to human interactions on stage when I found when I found out that you know came to that I could do that, that's when I was okay with leaving occupational therapy, um, you know, to a, a, a second most priority. Um, it's still something that I feel is if I still practice it, it would really make me a more well-rounded person. Mm. Um, but I I remember talking to my mom. Christmas time sometime I'm about to graduate she's like hey what are you gonna what are you gonna do because at this time we were already on a bus playing some pretty great shows making some livable money and uh I was like man I don't I don't I don't I don't know you know and it's just really start thinking about kind of quality of life that I want you know all these things but I came to a uh, a realization as well it doesn't matter successful being successful uh, by today's standards of, of money and yada, yada, truly matters at being the best at something. So it doesn't matter, you know, because if you're the best at something, then people are going to find a need for it and flock, flock to it. And for me, what I find I'm, I'm very good at is these human-to-human -human interactions uh, that I can give on stage, making that eye contact, people just knowing my personal story Hey, he's overcame some obstacles. He's still smiling, you know, at the end of the day, he's having a good time. Um, and if that's contagious, uh, I don't, I think that's priceless, you know, and uh, somewhere along the way, I found out that, yeah, that is, this is a sustainable way to live for my own purpose uh, and meaning in life. The mental model that I use, uh, I could essentially say was, anchoring myself, asking myself that question, what is your purpose here on life and your meaning? And is it going to fulfill that? And the answer was yes. It is yes, still. There are so many directions to take that. Uh, yeah, man. Now, now uh, comes uh, the challenging part of having a great conversation, which is choosing which topics you will sacrifice in order to deliver on the others. Because there is so much gold in there. There is so much value in going for the thing that fulfills you deeply and then the thing that doesn't fulfill you deeply you subsidize 
it with somebody else who that task does fulfill deeply. Right. So I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, and then it also came up in, in a podcast with uh, episode with Caroline Ehler that we recorded a few days ago, which was do the thing that you're great at and that you love because that's the thing you'll be the best at and then create a team around you of people who are the best at those things as well. Right. So even with music, like you are not the one who's driving the bus and making sure that the sound is perfect throughout the show. There are people who love doing those things and they do them really, really well. What you love doing is playing drums and having connections with people in the crowd and with the people that you're playing with and having this really, you're an incredibly empathetic person. And something that you have said in the past that we've talked about, which has made a really profound impact on me is you said you, some people use the people to get to the music, but you use the music to get to the people, right? Which is yeah. like, like some people, they just want to play music and that's what they care about. And to do that professionally, they grow a following that subsidizes their living so that they can be professional musicians. But you care about connecting with people and the way that you do that is by being a musician. Can you elaborate on that a bit more? Absolutely. Yeah, and that was something that I was figuring out within myself, within the band. Um, there was conversations of, of, of certain, you know, just like why we're here. And, and you put it pretty great when we were talking about it. Some people's means are your end and your, your means are their end. Dude, that's so good. more or less. It, it was just, it, it was fantastic because I found out that once again, like you said, I want to have that human connection. I want to encourage and I want to inspire um, in whatever way that I can motivate. And I do that through music, but I've also met those who are deeply passionate about music and that's truly all they care about, which is amazing, which I envy sometimes, but they, uh, they find out they need to understand to, to do that for a living. There is also that human aspect of, you know, at least in maybe live performance uh, and, and what we do quite a bit of, of, hey, that human connection without people listening to this music, you know, it's going to be hard to make a living. It's, you know, people are buying a ticket and that's really putting food on our table um, and then kind of understanding that. And uh, yeah, it's I, I got off on exactly what our what what our point was but yeah you had mentioned that and you put you distilled it uh very well yeah dude that's so profound this idea that we operate in a world that's connected almost by a a, a social web as well as a productivity web where you might be on a path getting somewhere and there are people who cross that path and they are delivering their own value trying to get to their own path and the mm -hmm. best way to get to where you're going, the most effective and fulfilling and productive way is to find a means of threading everybody's incentives such that everybody is fulfilling their own mission and goal and fulfillment in life while at the same time delivering value to someone else's mission and goal and value in life. Like I use this as an example in another episode. I have Rachel Media. It's a, a media agency that's editing the podcast 
and creating the chopping it up into reels and posting it on social. So all I'm doing is picking the guests, reaching out to them, researching them to come up with good questions, and then having the interview. Like all of my favorite things. I'm exclusively doing my favorite things in the world to do for this podcast episode. And Rachel Media is handling all the rest. And the reason why that's great is because Rachel Media loves doing the thing that they're doing. So Rachel Media, they love editing content and chopping it up into reels and getting creative with the captions and posting them and engaging with people who engage with the content. Like that's what they love to do. And I like doing that too, because I love people and I love talking to them. But in terms of that whole process and really zeroing in on what I find valuable and what I find fulfilling and what gives me energy, it is just having great conversations with incredible people and getting to focus on that. It, it not only makes things easy, but it makes things an accelerant, like in life, like what I'm going for, I feel like I am being pulled through life as opposed to pushing through life. And it's a, it's a, it's a profound feeling that I hope everybody experiences on at some point in their life when they are doing that thing that they feel genuinely fulfilled with. Yeah. It's a feeling that I, I tried describing it to Jackie the other day, but I feel almost as if the last six months, especially I've always been a workhorse. I've always been like obsessive about productivity. I think it's so fun and exciting to actually see progress. And I genuinely enjoy working and, and moving through things. Like I think of it as like you're a professional drummer, but if somebody saw you tapping on a countertop while you're talking to somebody or whistling along, they wouldn't say, oh, Jason's such a workaholic. They'd be like, oh, what an artist, right? Like, <laughs> oh, he's thinking of like, he thinks that beat is cool when you come up with a new beat or like you get a melody stuck in your head, that's cool. Nobody says you're a workaholic. They say you're an artist. And and that's how I've always thought of business and work and creating companies and products is that's my form of art. But I've always felt like I am pushing through and grinding forward in life and, and pushing against resistance. Like there's beauty in the struggle. But the last six months, I have felt like I'm being pulled through life. And I, I attribute that to a handful of reasons, but some of them have a lot more to do with the fact that I have focused on what I love doing and what brings me energy. And I've delegated all the stuff that I do not <laughs> want to do. And those people do those jobs significantly better than I could do it. They love doing it significantly more than I love doing it. And they are moving so fast. And I have multiple people in my life that are owning the different sections of the projects that I'm working mm -hmm. on. And they are moving so fast that a lot of that resistance has been moved out of the way. So there's less resistance as I move forward, A. And B, they're going so fast that they are pulling me along. Like my number one job for a, a couple of my teams is literally to just get out of their way. Like give them everything that they need try to keep from being a bottleneck and get out of their way. Dude, I identify with this so much on, on such a level. It's like you're saying at the beginning of what you, what you were uh, explaining. You're, you're talking about uh, within the band, I may not be the one driving uh, or doing the sound or, you know, saying, yeah, let's, let's go with that t-shirt um, for merch or um, let's do this and that. 
but at one point through the growth process, I have played that role, right? And it sounds like our conversation is is turning into something about building teams, which I which I feel like, which I love. Um, and one thing that now, as we are getting uh, bigger, uh, more successful as far as Flatland, there there are those individuals who are taking over those tasks. And the biggest thing, the the most impactful um, thought or conversation or just uh, anything is is trusting those who are in those positions to do those jobs that you aren't are not doing or you know aren't doing anymore it's trusting your team and i've felt the same the same thing with myself um, that you had just described within the last couple months once i really relinquished myself of those worries and said wait a second what if i'm not worried so much more about if the front of house sound is good or um, if the the t-shirt designs are good or if we're getting home safely what if what if i'm more so worried about those humans making sure that they are taken care of so that they can do you know just like all i want to do is play beats bop my head and just smile and connect with people and, and talk to them have great conversations like we're doing others have those other strengths like you're you're describing uh, your editor for this podcast uh, but the take home is I found one of the best ways to build that team is just strictly just trust them, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and any success that's came our way, I think that has been a huge element. Yeah. And, and giving up that need for control or that need for the level of quality that you feel you could deliver it at. Yes. Yeah, now we're segueing into the second half of the, the episode, which I'm super stoked about.